right, Luke chapter number 12, and uh, Mark 12, sorry, Mark 12, I was thinking about Luke, we're getting into Luke, Mark 12, if you will, and uh, we are down at verse number 28, so uh, we were off last week with the new year and Christmas and everything, and now we're back in the saddle up and running, so Mark 12. And verse 28, and what you're going to need to do is get Matthew 22 and stick something in there, okay? So you get Matthew 22 and Mark 12, and we will uh, start from there and uh, get going here. Mark 12, verse 28, and one of the scribes came. And having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, ask him, which is the first commandment of all? Now, he's been dealing with the question. He's in the temple. He's kicked them out. He's cleaned them up. We've, we went through all that. And now he's been answering the questions of the chief priests and the elders and the scribes and then the Pharisees and the Herodians and the Sadducees, and now we have one more set, one more question here. And then in chapter 13, he's going to go up on the Mount Olives and have uh, the second Olivet Discourse here. And actually, Lord willing, we get through this evening without too much trouble. <laughs> we'll get into chapter 13 next time. And chapter 13 is honestly one of the, one, one of the greatest passages on the prophetic scripture of, of the ages to come. And we'll look at that. So again, he's here in the temple. We're getting in that, we, we're in that involved in that week before the cross. They're going to, the, the leaders have come up against him. They're trying to catch him. They're trying to build a case against him so that they can go and lay, uh, lay, a, lay a charge on him so they can kill him. Now, the night before the cross, they, they can't. So the night before the cross, they bring in false witnesses. And even then, they couldn't get him. So they uh, eventually do, uh, obviously, kill him. But here in verse 28 now, we come to really the last of them to question him. In verse 34, if you look at the end of that verse, and no man after that durst ask him any questions. They get to the point where they... At, at when this is all done, he has answered them, he's nailed them, he's going to then ask them a question in verse 35 and following. They can't answer him, they shut up. And they literally don't ask him anything else until the, the uh, trial issues and so forth at the Calvary. He's answered them at every turn. So in verse 28, and one of the scribes came, having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he will, he had answered them well, ask him, which is the first commandment of all? Now, this gentleman, he's a young man. Uh, if you come to Matthew 22, this man perceived that Jesus had answered them well. And in Matthew 22, and again, what we're seeing here is the impact of the, earth, of the, earth, of the Lord's ministry and, and the impact it's having on the religious leaders of Israel. They, they, their response to him, you see all of that, he, his response to them, they, they, he's basically indicting them of their hypocrisy, of their apostasy. And they can't answer, he's got the answer, 
And in Matthew 22, the Matthew describes uh, verse 34. Sorry, Matthew 22, 34. Matthew describes him this way, this, this interaction this way. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. All right, so what, what has happened? Again, the Lord, he put the Sadducees to silence. So now the Pharisees, and so if you think about this room kind of being the temple, all right, this, and it isn't. Well, it could be, but it isn't, okay? They just kind of moved to the back corner, and they start, they were gathered together, and they're, they're talking amongst themselves. Then one, Verse 35, then, then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him, saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? So here's the scribe. Mark calls him a scribe. Matthew calls him a lawyer. Now, again, Matthew is the legalese. He's going to lay them out. He's going to, Matthew spends the whole of chapter 23 nailing these guys. We'll get there in just a minute. So Mark says the scribe. And again, the scribes, these guys know the Bible. They're, they're, they're Bible students. Again, you can know it and not believe it, and that's where they're at. But So what would the lawyer know? The lawyer would know the law. He's not a lawyer like we think about a lawyer down at the court's house. He's a lawyer. He's a, he's a scribe of the law. So his question, come back to Mark 12. His question, verse 28, which is the first commandment of all? Now, you have to understand, he, he's, he, he's heard them reasoning together. What's he, he sees them over in the corner. He's standing with them. And he's, I mean, he's perceived that he answered them well. They're sitting there going, talking. Every, every time we bring up a question, this guy's got the answer for it. We can't get him. We have, how did, so he turns and he asks his question, which is the first commandment of all three? Now, there's a couple things here that are important about this guy's question. First of all, he goes right to the heart. He goes right to the heart of the real issue here. He doesn't, he, he, he's not really about trying to trick them, trick the Lord. He's really not trying to, I gotcha. If you look down at verse 34, and when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, thou art not far from the kingdom of God. See, he's, this isn't maliciousness like the others. There's a question here of, here, what's the real issue here? These guys are over here in the corner. They can't get it. You've answered him at every turn. So what is the real issue here? Well, what is it? It's a heart issue. They don't believe. Beyond all the other stuff, they don't believe who the Lord says he is. So this man is asking a question in a way of, again, not being flippant, not being malicious, not being, you know, trickster. But yet he is of that vain religious system, and he's nailing in the real heart issue. So the question is really a question of what's real here? What's the real issue here? These guys are asking you all this stuff out here, hypothetical ideas. What is the real deal here? So verse 29, and Jesus answered him. 
The first of all, the first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Deuteronomy 6. See the answer. Verse 30. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Notice the, the two commandments here that are of really the same issue. Love God, love your neighbor. So he took, he takes, in our study in Romans 13 on Sunday mornings, we went through there, 13.10, love worketh no ill. But the love, love, to love thy neighbor is the fulfilling of the law. If you want to, the, you, you get in, everything the law demands, love, for us today, grace accomplishes. And that's really what they're doing. The statement here, verse 32, And the scribe said unto him, Well, master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And actually, this guy identified all three components in the law right there. So he understands the law. He under, he, he's quoting back Deuteronomy 6. And he looks in there, so you're going to love God? Who is he? He's Jehovah. He's the Lord. There he is. That's the first part. Second part, you're going to love your neighbor as yourself, then verse, then, then there's that third part, that's the burnt offerings and sacrifice, that's the ceremonial law. And when you think about the Ten Commandments, that's how they're broken up. The, you know, by the way, he doesn't say Ten Commandments. He's not even quoting Exodus. He's quoting Deuteronomy. He's quoting the second giving of everything. So you have the moral law, loving God and loving your neighbor, and then you have the ceremonial part of it, which is the burnt offerings and the sacrifices. The morality, that's that relationship with God and with your neighbor. Okay? The, the commandments, the burnt offering, that's the ceremonial. And really the Ten Commandments back in Exodus 20 is labeled out that same way. It starts with the first three are... Love, love the Lord thy God with all that, okay? And then he goes into keep the Sabbath. There's the only ceremonial law. And then the rest of it is moral law and your interaction with your neighbor. So you've got love God. Why? Because he's Jehovah. You've got the ceremonial aspect and then love your neighbor. Thou shalt not kill, you know, and all that good stuff. Bear false witness and so forth. So, and really that's why if you think about us today, Paul, he quotes nine of the, Ten Commandments that we're to be aware of. In Romans 13, he does it, and in a couple other places, he'll do it too. And then in Colossians, he says, don't keep the Sabbath. The Sabbath is that shadow of the things to come. It belongs to Israel. It belongs to them. It isn't for you and I. So when you think about that issue here, the more th this guy's answer is not coming, and the question isn't coming from a I gotcha type of thing. He's literally, he's seeing the debate go on amongst his sect of the, of the group, and he's like, all right, I'm just going to get to the bottom of this. What's the deal? And the Lord says, 
you're almost, you almost got it, and here's the deal. So when you, when you think here about the, the law and what he's doing here in, in this section but with the quote, come over to Romans 1. It's, a, it's very fascinating. The moral commandment of love, love, love thy God. I just had it. That's how, that's how brainless I am today. Mark 12. The Lord, uh, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. And this is the first commandment. And then thou shalt love thy neighbor. Those two issues in the moral, in the moral law are basic, rudimentary components of mankind. If you look at Romans 1, it's interesting when, man, when God created man, he created this morality, love God, love your neighbor, right into man. Okay? So, and, and again, if you go back and study Genesis, and you study, especially after chapter 12, with Abraham, God is literally giving Abraham the, what later becomes the Mosaic Law, but it's really the law of God. So he's been giving Moses the law all, all the time. Adam was learning the law. Why did he have to teach him about animal sacrifice after the fall? Because that's what the law is going to say. Now Moses comes in. Galatians tells us that the law was added to the promise because of the transgression. So now we got the if and the then clause added to it. But before that, here's the righteousness of God. Here's the law of God. But look at Romans 1, look at verse 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Into the very conscience of man, what is there? There is a knowledge that there is a God, and I will face him in judgment one day. So when somebody says there is no God, they're just a bold-faced liar. What they're trying to do is figure out a way around it. So the issue of love, God is, love, uh, love the Lord thy God with all that, that's nothing new for humanity across the board. It's built into you. That, uh, they call it the God conscience. Well, it's, it's not really that, but it is that. That's, the, that's a good way I get preacher talk for trying to identify it. So then, now come over to chapter 2. So there's the love God. Now watch chapter 2, verse 12. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. Verse 13. Notice 13, 14, and 15 are parentheses. Okay. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, the law was never given to the Gentiles, it was given to who? Israel. We understand that. Now watch. For when the Gentiles, they weren't given the law, but what happens? Do by nature the things contained in the law, 
These themselves not ha- uh, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness with their, and their thoughts the meanwhile acu- accusing or else excusing one another. When the Gentiles do what? By nature. They're, they don't have the law. It wasn't ever given to them. But what are they doing over here? They're not killing. They're not stealing. They're not committing adultery. They're not coveting. They're, they're not doing this. Why? Because it goes against their morality. So the Gentile has what? A man has what? Love God and love thy neighbor. It's built into man to do that. Okay, now sin messes this, the picture up and makes it, and man just gets worse and worse and worse. But the point is, is the Gentiles don't need, man, I should say mankind, doesn't need the law of God to come along and bash them over the head because their own nature gives that. So when this guy shows up here in Mark 12 with these two commandments, so go back to Mark 12, okay, you still got Matthew, right? Okay, good. So when he shows up and the Lord answers him, the, the scribe, the Bible guy, the lawyer, if you need that, he pipes right up and says, listen, this, this isn't a morality thing. This is a spiritual thing. And then he brings in again that third component about the burnt offerings and sacrifices, which are the ceremonial law. But in the Ten Commandments, the commandment of the Sabbath, who is the Sabbath given to? wasn't given to man. It was given to who? Israel. See? So here's man. Love God. Love your neighbor. Here's Israel. Love God. Love your neighbor. And then you got a ceremonial issue that you have to carry out. Why? Because you are the nation that represents God. So you've got all of this. And again, it's happening in the temple. All of this conversation is in the temple where, where the Lord has said, this is my father's house. You guys are in here messing it up. Now it's your house, and I'm going to leave it desolate here as he's going to begin to leave. What are they doing in the temple? The, uh, the leadership. There's no, there's no morality. There's no loving God and loving thy neighbor. What is there now? The ceremonial. Okay? They're not, what's happening in the temple is it has become all about the ceremonial. There's no concern with the neighbor. There's no concern with the poor. We're going to see here in a little bit that they just walked right over the widow. Just nail her out, you know. High pay, high mass. Low pay, low mass. No pay, no mass. They've got it now. That's that religious system. They've got it down. And they're, the scribe here, he knows that there's more than that external mess going on. He's beginning under, He's coming under conviction. That's what's happening. He sees the Lord's interaction. I think about him just kind of sitting over there in the corner watching. And he says, listen, these guys, you guys, you got these guys all messed up over here. What's the real issue here? So what is the greatest commandment of the law? And when you think about that, he's beginning to catch on. There's more going on here than the ceremonial external stuff. There's something actually going on in their hearts. And there's a problem. Now, What's going to happen here, you got Mark 12, right? Verse 34, and when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, see, discreetly, 
This guy's he's he's uh, being pricked here. He's under some conviction. Now Mark just plows through this. He just again he's not he's not worried about correcting anyone. He's not worried about arguing with anyone. What does a servant do? Just deal with it. Boom, here it is, go. Matthew doesn't do that. Come over to Matthew and look at chapter 23. Okay? Matthew is going to set the legal argument about these things against these guys. The scribe, the lawyer, he's, he's, there's something at the bottom of this. There's What's behind all the vain religious system? What's going on here? It's really got him. And Christ, again, here's the, the Lord, Matthew 23, and what are they going to do? He's going to, the legalese, here's the king, and he's going to say, let's deal with this legally. Get the argument out there. Let's get the written indictment done. The grand jury has spoken. Here's the indictment. Well, how can the grand jury speak? They have what? All the evidence. You see, this guy, I think about, I think about the, the you know, uh, I think about one of my, not favorite shows, but one of the shows that I enjoy, Downton Abbey. What do you got? You got the, the servants, the back house, and you got the, the family side. In the, in the one, I think it was a show or a movie, the king and the queen come to, for dinner. And then they have all the shenanigans because the queen and the king have what? They have their own people. So they do all this, and then they go through the dinner, and, and uh, everything was great. And the queen, you know, wow, this is really wonderful. And oh, what's his name? Pipes up and says, well, this is Doughton's people serving you. Your people are gone. And the king doesn't look to them and say, good job, well done. He looks to the Lord of the house and says, would you relay to everybody? And they're standing right there. Why? There's pro proper procedure to do everything, you know, protocol. You can't do that. You can't speak out of turn, okay? That's what's happening here. These guys, first the chief priest, elders, and the bigwigs speak. Then they go, okay, next, this side of the room, you're up. Pharisees and... Herodians, you guys go after him. Then the Sadducees, and nobody could get him, so much so that they weren't asking him any more questions. And this poor young man is sitting there going, there's something going on here, and i got to get to the bottom of it, and let's see what it is. So in Mark 23, I'm sorry, Matthew 23, Mark doesn't have 23, he's going to rebuke the Pharisees, and it's a whole chapter of it. By the way, Mark is just going to be a few verses. It's not going to be a lot. But Matthew, he's building the legal case. Verse 13, but unto you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. I'm sorry, but what? Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. Verse 14, woe unto you. Verse 15, woe unto you. Verse 16, woe unto you. Verse 23, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Now watch. For ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. Look at what these, what did, what had they done? They're down there weighing the little cumin and the anise, and 
They're tithing on the little things. But when it comes to mercy and judgment and faith, they dismiss that. Again, they're going to walk all over the widow, the poor. They don't deal with, but they're over there doing what? A little anise, a little, a little cumin, a little seeds. We got all that down. So then what's the ultimate issue here? It's a heart issue. They don't. The guy here, the young man, he looks at all of this, and he just says there's something not right. There's something going on. So when you come back to Mark 12, that's what happens here. Okay? Verse 34. And when Jesus saw that he answered them discreetly, he said, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. You're just a step away from getting it. You're right there. You're really close, but you're just not quite there yet. Now, come over with me to John 12. This issue here on uh, of what's happening here. Get the picture. Discreetly, you're one step away. You're right there. Just take the next step. John 12. Verse 36, John 12, 36, While you have light, believe in the light, that you may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. Now that's the context here. Verse 39, therefore, uh, um, verse 38, I'm sorry, verse 39, therefore they could not believe because that Isaiah said, he hath blinded their minds, I'm sorry, blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, and that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted, and I should heal them. Verse 42, nevertheless, now watch, among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, why? For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. That's this guy. He's right there. You're one step away. And what's keeping him from making that step of a public profession of believing in who Christ is? Who is he? He's the light of the world. He's the Messiah. He's Jehovah. Is what? The pressure of the room of the religious leaders. You're, he's almost got it. But he's in fear of being what? Kicked out of the synagogue. See? If you join me, then what's going to happen? You're going to get kicked out. And he's like, ah. remember the rich young ruler in Mark 10 we saw? He had great wealth, and he says, what do I do? And he said, what, sell all that you have and give to all to the poor? And he couldn't do it because what did he have? He had great wealth. If I take that, and he's right there. He's good to go except for that last step. If you had just done that, but he couldn't because it had the great wealth had him. That's this guy. That's the scribe. Come back to Mark 12. That's this guy. He's right there. And when he saw that he had answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. You're right there. You got one step. If you follow me, then he knows he's going to... 
He knows that if he follows Christ, he's out of the temple. He's lost his everything. It's gone. Monthly, weekly paycheck, salary, pension, house, all of it. He's destitute. But then he says, the end of that verse, and no man after that durst ask him any questions. He's nailed them. He put, he's put them, they don't ask him anymore. He's got them. He's brought the heart issue to the forefront. He's nailed them. They're not ready for it. They don't understand it. And now in verse 35, Christ is going to turn the tables and he's going to ask them a question. Now, before we do that, run to Matthew 22. And look at verse 41. Because get the picture here again. So think about this. The Pharisees are over in the back corner. They're talking. This man steps out, comes and talks to the Lord. Mark 12, verse 35. And Jesus answered and said while he taught. I'm in Mark. Hold on to Matthew. We're going to go right back, okay? Mark 12, uh, 35. And Jesus answered and said while he taught in the temple, how say the scribes that Christ is the son of David? Now watch verse Matthew 22, 41. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They said unto him, The son of David. So think about this. They're in the corner. The man comes and young man comes up, asks his question, they talk. The Lord goes onto the corner. He doesn't do this up front. He goes and talks to them directly. He shut them up. They're so think about that. He just answered this young man. They're not going to ask another question. They're in the corner when the Pharisees were gathered together. Who do you think they're talking about? Obviously him. They're not talking about the, you know, the football game or the scores or any of that. They're talking about him. He walks right. They're talking about him. He walks right in. He's going to ask them. Go back to Mark 12. He's going to ask them this question. He's shut them up. While they're together, he walks over in the midst of them, and he asks them, and they can't, they're not able to answer him. And he says, I have a question. You've been asking me questions. Now let me ask you a question. How, uh, verse 36, 35, how say the scribes that Christ is the son of David? You... What a question. Now, keep reading. Verse 36, For David himself said by the Holy Ghost, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. Quote Psalms 110. David therefore himself calleth him Lord. And whence is he then his son? And the common people heard him gladly. Now, think about the question. David, he says... He's the son of David, but yet David called him Lord, Messiah, Jehovah. So how is this? How in the world can David call, who, call him son and then call him Jehovah? What a quandary if you don't know the scripture. See? Now, if you know the scripture, then you understand how this works. 
The common people heard him what? Gladly. They understand. They believe the scriptures. They know that he is who? He is the son of God. He's God and man. They know he's deity. This great passage, great statement here of the deity here. You see, how, how would the father call his son Lord? If the son wasn't more than the physical son. That's why Peter uses it in Acts 2. That's why it's used in Hebrews 10. When the Lord talks to his Lord and says, I'll sit, okay. That's why they quote it. Actually, Paul refer makes reference to it as well. Again, the great statement here on the deity of the Messiah. He, Jesus Christ reaches in, pulls out a question, and they just went, huh? What are you talking about? Now, watch verse 38. And he said unto them, and his, the them there is the common people, okay, in his doctrine, beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplace. So it's obvious they got a hold of it. So he goes over, he asks them a question, they, they go, huh? And he turns to the common people, and the common people are like, stick them, man, get them. We got it. We understand. But it's obvious that the religious leaders don't believe God's word. Notice verse 36 again. For David himself said, by who? By the Holy Ghost. So Psalms 110, written by David, but that was given by inspiration of God. By the way, Psalms 110 is one of the Messianic Psalms. And he says, Christ said, Messiah said, I'm David's son, but I'm also Lord. I'm both. And you guys should have known that because it's your job to know the scripture. They can't answer it. Why? They don't believe the word of God. Now, Come to Matthew 22. Matthew 22. Matthew 22, verse 46. Verse 45. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? And no man was able to answer him a word. They should have been able to answer him. Why? Because Psalms 110 says he is. That would have been the answer, right? Well, the Word of God said he is, so he is, even though we're one step away from believing him. Neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. He shut them down. Come back to Mark 12. He had them. By the way, the only time after this where they ask him any questions is the night before the cross where they in the trial and the false accusers and the false witnesses and all that. And by the way, he doesn't answer them. He answers them not a word. He doesn't really even answer Pilate, but he holds a conversation with Pilate, but he doesn't answer the accusation. So Mark 12, he's completely shut down the vain religious system by demonstrating that he is the Son of God. He's in the temple. He's in my Father's house. And you've corrupted it. So now it's your house, your desolation, and I'm leaving. That's what 
stopped the young man and caused him to ask the question about the commandments. You're right there. You're just a step away. You just need to come and recognize that I'm the Messiah and come and follow me. And if you do that, if you love God like Deuteronomy 6 says you're to, why? Moses wrote of me. If you believe Moses, Moses wrote of me, he says in John. If you'd have believed him. If you just do that and you recognize that I am the Messiah, then you're, you're in the kingdom, baby. But you're not there. You're just, you don't want to lose what you, what you think you got now. You don't want to lose for what you would have in the future. So in verse 38, what does he say? Beware of the scribes. The warning here, again, he's talking to the common people. He's shut up the leadership. He's not talking to them anymore. He's now dealing with the common people. Actually, you know, <laughs> beware of scribes which love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplaces and the chief seats in the synagogues and the uppermost rooms of, at feast which devour widows' houses and for a pretense... Look at that, a pretense, hypocrisy. Matthew 23, woe unto you hypocrites. Again, Mark just goes quickly here. This is who they are. We know who they are. Let's move on. Matthew built, lays out the indictment. And again, you've got to appreciate what Mark's doing here. i got no time. You're guilty. Let's go. <laughs> I think about Titus. You ain't, you're done. Boom. And Paul's like, Titus, at least give them two or three, the one or, you know, just get beyond, you got to at least give them two or three admonitions before you kick them out. You know, that's what the servant does. Master spoke, this is what it is, let's go, we don't have time to debate it, you're guilty, you're done. Matthew says, nope, here's the Lord, here's the king, we got to get it all established. Verse, beware, verse 38. Beware of the long clothes, the long robes. The, the long clothes and the love salutations in the marketplace. When, when that's the long clothing. Uh, come, you can let Matthew go. Well, better hold on to it. Nah, let it go. Come back to Second Kings, chapter ten. When you look at the issue of the long clothing, when we when you see people wear. Unique clothing, robes, and it's in order to identify themselves as religious leaders, then you know instantly that they're a part of the Baal worship system. The Pope, retired Pope, passed away, Lady Mountain State. What's he in? Long, boy, he, they, they didn't do a dress up on him very well. He looked pretty rough. But that's what they are the long, the vestments. 1 Kings 10, you have Jehu, starting in verse 19. Jehu, now, there, now therefore call unto me all the prophets of Baal and all his servants and all his priests. Let none be wanting, for I have a great sacrifice to do to Baal. Whatsoever, uh, whosoever shall be wanting, he shall not live. But Jehu did it in subtility to the intent that he might destroy the worshipers of Baal. 2 Kings 10. Jehu laid the trap. Bring them in. I got a great sacrifice for Baal. Verse 
uh, 20, and Jehu said, Proclaim a solemn assembly for Baal. And they proclaimed it, and Jehu sent through all Israel, and all the worshipers of Baal came, so that there was not a man left that came not. And they came into the house of Baal, so they got a church building. They got an altar. They got all of the, 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 the aids of worship. The house of Baal was full from one end to another. They packed the house out. You know, Sunday we had a pretty good crowd for uh, New Year's Day. All right? Not, only a few red eyes. But we had a great day, a good morning. They're having a good morning. Verse 22, well, they were. And he said unto him, that was over the vestry. Bring forth vestments for all the worshipers of Baal. And he brought them forth vestments. That issue of vestments, special clothing, religious hierarchy. You see it in the Protestant. You see it in the Catholics. It's all a part of the same system. Okay? What's he saying? Hey, guys, be careful of this. When you see them walking around in long clothing, go back there to Mark 12. When you see them going and then go to Matthew 23, you need to beware because that means they're a part of the relig- that vain religious system that I just shut up, shut down in the temple. Long clothing, be aware. That's how you identify them. Those long robes represent, they demonstrate that religious status that they have. And you understand that. You know, you look, you look at graduations. I always try to figure out what all the hoods mean and all the stripes on the arms mean and all that stuff. Like you know, Why? Because it's status. And if you're in academia, you understand that and you're always after the next. And I'm like, it looks like you choke yourself you know, on that stuff. But that's what it is. Then he says, and love salutations in the marketplace. The chief seats. So Matthew 23, verse 5, But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their philanteries. Now the philanthropy uh, in Scripture, that is uh, a, a, a passage of Scripture. It's, on, it's, it's, it's bound upon the arm or the forehead. Okay? goes here. So what do you see it today? The big chain with the cross on it. Okay, that's a philanthropy. They broaden them and enlarge the borders of their garments. You know, I, 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 the old joke is, is you're gaining a little weight. Yeah, well, my inner man's getting fat. You know, I'm growing the inner man. I'm building him up. You know, well, that's that's your excuse. Why? Because he liked the fatness. The Lord loves the fatness. Well, why? Because you're getting all big. You know. Well, what do they do? They're getting they're fat and sassy. And love the up, uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the market and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But be not ye called Rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren, and call no man your father. Again, back to Judges 17. Upon the earth, for one is your father, which is in Heaven, neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. All of the titles, and that's the master, the rabbi, father. Now come to Psalms 111, because there's another one that gets pulled into this in the title game. And that's the word, that's the title, reverend, the right reverend Rick. (laughs) 
the three R's, all right? So aren't you to be called Reverend Rick? Well, I don't think so, all right? And, but where does that come from? It comes from the religious system. But in Scripture, look at Psalms 111, verse 9. He sent redemption unto his people. He hath commanded his covenant with them, uh, commanded his covenant forever. Holy and what? Reverend is his name. So if you're calling yourself reverend, so now what are you? You're usurping someone, the Lord's authority, but now you're the Holy Father. You're the Holy Right Reverend Father. So you just did what? You just blew yourself up. Come over to Job. Come back to Job 32. It all has to do with Baal worship. And it's all corrupted, Job 32. It's all corrupted Israel. And they love this. And it's, they love that special status that, they, that their vain religious system has given them. Job 32, if you look here at verse 21, Let me not, I pray you, accept any man's purpose, person, neither let me give flattering titles unto man. For I know not, for I know not to give flattering titles. In so doing, my maker would soon take me away. If I give a flattering text, God's going to get me. <laughs> I ain't doing that, man. I ain't giving up. Why? Because my creator, God, he's going to get me. So I'm not going to do this. Be care- That's why, again, go back to Mark 12. The warning here, verse 40, which devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayer. Pretense. They pretend to pray. They devour widows' houses. They're devouring the poor. Why would she be a, why, why would, who's a widow? Well, that's a, a, a lady whose husband has died, see? So what are they doing here? They're devouring her. They're coming in and they're saying, look, if you want us to pray him into heaven, then you need to come up with X amount of dollars. She's a widow. She doesn't have it. So what does she do? She's believing them. She's out selling her house off to do what? Get old hubby out of purgatory and into heaven. And they're just eating her up. And you go, well, that's not Israel. But it is Israel. That's who he's talking about. That's what they're doing. They're setting it up here. They're devouring. And and, and again, really... That's, the, that's what's holding this guy back from taking that last step. That's what's holding back any of them from just taking that last step to recognizing who he is and what he's doing. Verse 41, Mark 12, 41. And Jesus sat over against the treasury and behold how, beheld how the people cast money into the treasury and many that were, that were rich cast in much. Now, he's going to end this section with the famous discussion of the widow's might. And he's, again, get the picture. He was in the temple. He's been dealing with them. He turns. He talks to the common people. Then he just goes over and sits down next to the offering box. And he's going to have a discussion with them here. He goes over, sits down, and he watches. Now that's what he's. This is how. That's how we started this section. 
he goes into the temple and he watches. Then he leaves and the next day he comes in and curses a fig tree, cleans them out and so forth. But he just goes in. You, you remember that, right? Go back to Mark. Mark 11. Mark 11, 11. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he had looked round about upon all things, and now the even tide was come, he went out into the Bethany with the twelve. That's what, so bookends, we're at the end of it. What's he do? He just goes in, sits down, and he watches. And the issue now with God here isn't how much you give. It's rather how you give it. So it's about the heart motivation. So he's watching. He's evaluating the heart here. 1241. Sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people can. Again, that's giving. That's even giving today. God loves a cheerful giver. It's how you give. It isn't me barking about it every Sunday or end of the year or, hey, it's the first of the year, you know, you know or any of that. It's I purposed it. I've thought about it. I'm doing it. Bam. It's how. Now, watch verse 42. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which, might, which make a fathering. So two mites is... One mite is one to four, uh, uh, one, a fourth fathering or, a, or an eighth of a cent. A fathering is equal to a quarter of a cent. <laughs> okay? And he called verse 43. So not a lot of money here. But what is it? It's all she has. See? Verse 43. And he called unto him his disciples and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. There's the proper attitude. Giving. No measured out, no, but what? all in okay she's literally counted the cost that's the picture here but this widow and her might and being all in you know is a picture now who is he talking with verse 43 he called unto him his disciples she is representing in picture and in type the believing remnant, the little flock. Come over to Luke 12, a passage we're very familiar with because this is the requirement of the little flock. She's a picture of that believing remnant. By the way, the rich young guy, he couldn't do it. All he had great wealth, he couldn't get rid of it. The scribe, he's right there, he's one step away, but he couldn't do it because he'd lose. She walks in, sells all she's got. It's all of her living. She's all in. Luke 12, verse 31, But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give unto you the kingdom. Sell that ye have, and give all. 
what, that's what, exactly what she did. She's all in. Come over to chapter 14 of Luke. Chapter 14. Chapter 14. Again, by the way, this isn't about you and I, so don't go do this. If you do, you're going to end up being bankrupt. Okay? <laughs> Sorry. You know, I knew we had a gentleman growing up at Shorewood, and he uh, got saved, listening to the preacher one day, one day, and the preacher preached on selling it all. So he went out and sold everything in the house. Would have sold the house, but it didn't belong to him. It belonged to his mother-in-law. And she told him, you can't sell my house. He went to the preacher and said, I did everything you said to do. Nothing happened. He goes, what do you mean? I didn't tell you to do that. I don't even believe that's, you know. He's like, but you preached it. God's word says it. Then he came to understand right division and when his wife came to find out right division, I think she took his kneecaps out a couple times. Why? Because, but what does the verse say? Sell all, give all. Uh, chapter 14, chapter 14, 33. So likewise, whatsoever ye, whosoever ye, he be of you, that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. That's kingdom discipleship. So when you come back to Mark 12, the, the group here, if they had had the heart to understand that he was the son of David, the Messiah, who was going to bring in the kingdom, their heart put on that, focused on that. Rather, they were focused on the ceremonial things and the attaboys, which caused them to not have the heart to believe it. In walks this widow, and she's all in. She's cast in all that she had, even all her living. Then in verse chapter 13, verse 1, we'll pick up here, he leaves. And he doesn't go back in to that temple until the night before, till it's time to go die. 13.1, And as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answering said unto him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And he now gives the Olivet Discourse here, and it becomes a great passage on Bible prophecy. We'll spend some time in that because it's about the future. This isn't 70 A.D., by the way, which people say that this is, the preterist and so forth. This isn't. But get what Mark's doing. Mark's painting a picture of the indictment of the nation. Jesus is letting them indict themselves. And he's letting them do it out of their own mouth. Then he's going to, he demonstrates in one step, you're just one step away, and that one step you need is to identify, is to recognize, to believe who I am. You can't do it. You won't do it because you're stuck in that system and you're not willing to go. So the widow got it. She went over, she's all in. 
the hierarchy, the leadership of Israel isn't. So he's going to go now and give, give a warning about Dan, from Daniel and so forth, and we'll spend some time looking into it. And then in chapter 14, they lay out the plot to nail him. Then they, we go into the upper room, and then they come and they get him, and then he's in the garden, and then Peter denies him, and then he's carried off to the cross. So quickly but yet slowly here, we're getting to the end, okay? All right. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word, for the study of it, and to look into it. And we just thank you for your wisdom, having all of this figured out, plotted out, ready to happen, and how that you do recognize true faith in what you're doing in the moment, here in the Gospels, but also today in the age of grace. In your name we pray. Amen.